Our call to worship this morning comes from the beginning of Jesus' ministry as recorded in Luke's Gospel. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This morning we've got at least two locally written hymns to enjoy together, which I think is rather good. And we're going to first of all sing, Oh, the life of the world is a joy and a treasure. So let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Decadent God, as we gather in your presence this day, we remind ourselves once again of the extravagance and intricacy of your creativity. A vast universe filled with so many galaxies, planets and stars that no one can ever count them. 
seashores with unnumbered grains of sand. Pods bursting with hundreds, maybe thousands of minuscule seeds. The intricate designs on the wings of butterflies and the symmetry of spots on ladybirds. The unique patterns of a zebra's stripes and of the leopard's spots. And so many, many other natural wonders that delight us and fill us with awe. For all of this, we praise you and ask you to help us to appreciate it more and more. Disappointed God, as we think of the wonder and beauty of the world you have made, we cannot help but recall our own failings and faults. Even when we know and understand the impact of human activity on the natural world, we can be tempted to behave as if we did not. Sometimes we have become greedy, taking or using more than we need. Sometimes we have become lazy, failing to think about the implications of our choices. Sometimes we are so busy making our own lives more comfortable and more fun that we forget about others who are less fortunate than ourselves. For all the ways in which we disappoint you, we are sorry and ask you to help us to live more thoughtfully. Devoted God, who never ceases to love us and whose forgiveness is assured, accept our prayers and encourage us as we continue to pray for the inbreaking of your kingdom of Shalom. As we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.
going to spend a little bit of time making some decisions. Not decisions that are going to change the world or anything, but uh, decisions based on some pictures you're going to see on the screen. So we're going to start off with some nice choices. So I'm going to show you pictures of two things, and you can call out or put your hands up as to which one you would choose, if any. Okay, so we'll see how we get on with the first one, and hopefully it will make sense. So, chocolate or ice cream? Chocolate or ice cream? Ice cream. <laughs> okay, here's for chocolate. Here's for ice cream. About the same, I think. Yeah, okay. Fish and chips or egg and chips? Fish and chips. Egg and chips. Okay, who's for fish and chips? Who's for egg and chips? Oh, it's a bit more of a difference there, isn't there? Okay. Boots or trainers? Trainers. Oh, that was quick, funny. Okay. Who's for trainers then? Who would choose trainers? Okay. And who would choose boots? Probably about the same. Indoor play or outdoor play? Indoor play or outdoor play? Playing inside or playing outside? Depends on the weather. Depends on the weather. That's a good answer. Who prefers to play outside? Bonnie, yeah, most people at that end. Who prefers to play inside? Okay, yeah, some people prefer to. It's good, excellent, nice variety. Uh, seaside or countryside? Seaside. <laughs> Freya's struggling there. What do you think, Freya? Is it too hard to choose? Yeah, who? Sorry? Probably the beach. Probably the beach, okay. Anybody prefer the countryside? Yeah, a few people prefer the countryside. Okay. Difficult, isn't it, sometimes? Even with nice choices, it can be quite difficult to decide. Okay, we're going to move on to some hard choices now. And these are all choices that some people have to make in their lives. People, even people living in our city have to make these choices. So, to have a holiday or to have a car. So you can either have a you can either afford to pay for a holiday or you can afford to, to run your car. How long are you on the holiday? <laughs> Good question, Carl. Um, two weeks. What? Car. <laughs> car. Why the car, Carl? Because you could sell and buy like five holidays. you might not be able to if it was an old car, but that's, that's very good thinking. Okay, so so you think the car's more. Okay, so the car rather than the holidays, that's more useful perhaps because you can go shopping, you can go to visit people. But some people actually do have to choose because they can't afford to do both. Okay, pay for your car to be repaired or pay your phone bill? <coughs> so pay for your car to be repaired. You've got a car that's old enough that it needs a repair. Or pay your phone bill? Phone bill. Phone bill? Car. Okay. Difficult, isn't it? Do you want to be able to speak to people? Or do you want to be able to go driving around? Yeah, difficult choices. Okay, pay for your electricity or buy a birthday present? If you had to choose between those two. Your birthday would be miserable if you had no electricity. Your birthday would be miserable if you had... It really would be miserable, yep. See, I'm actually old enough to remember when we got power cuts and I think I had a birthday when there was no electricity. There would be no lights, there would be, not be able to make a nice cup of tea or coffee, you wouldn't be able to... Yes? Birthday, you could just light candles. 
You could just like, like, light, light the birthday candles and not have any electricity. <laughs> Very resourceful people in this congregation this morning. Okay. <laughs> Pay for dinner or buy your children's school uniform? You'd, you'd go hungry to buy school uniform, Joyce. Okay. You'd, you'd, have, you'd, spend it, you'd go for food over uniform, yeah. But these are real choices that people living in this city have to make. Some people have to say, can I afford to buy my child a new jumper for school, or can I afford to put tea on the table? Really tough choices that some people have to make. So... We're going to be thinking a little bit um, about a poor person today, and I just thought it was a way to get our brains going, to think about the choices that we're very privileged. We can make all sorts of nice choices. We can choose whether we have ice cream or chocolate or fish and chips or egg and chips. Most of us can choose whether to run a car or have a holiday, but maybe not everybody. Sometimes, and I can remember having to do this, choosing which bills to pay because I didn't have enough money in the bank to pay all my bills, so I had to choose. Which one can I pay? Which one can I leave for another week or two? So just to get our minds thinking, really. So we're going to sing a song that goes away from hard choices, but doesn't quite um, deny them and recognises God's generous providing. Sorry, my mouth's a bit sticky today. For your generous providing, which sustains us all our days. For your spirit here residing, we proclaim our heartfelt praise.
Our readings this morning are taken from the book of Luke. Let us listen for the word of God. From Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for redemption of Jerusalem. And from chapter 9, verses 18 to 25. Once, when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? And from chapter 18, verses 18 to 24. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honour your mother and father. He replied, I have kept all these since I was a youth. <clears throat> when Jesus heard this, he said to him, There is one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And from chapter 21. 
he looked up and saw rich people put their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she has to live on. Amen. I was thinking what we might focus on for Lent this year, I wanted to try and find a different angle really. And so I've chosen to focus on some of the people that the Gospels tell us Jesus encountered during Holy Week. And over the next four weeks we're going to meet four different people that I think each of them has got some potential to help us to reflect on our own stories as we make our own journey through Lent this year. And we're going to begin today by focusing on the last of the readings that Holly read for us and the well-known story of an unnamed widow who came to Jesus' notice as he sat in the temple during Holy Week speaking to his disciples. The way we usually approach this story, and it's a totally legitimate way of doing so, is in the light of Luke's focus on a Jesus who has a really keen interest in the poorest and most marginalised people in society. That's why I used part of the what's called sometimes the Nazareth Manifesto as our call to worship this morning. In it, Jesus clearly identifies himself as caring about people like this widow who eked out a subsistence living in a culture where there was no infrastructure at all to offer support if they had no relatives to care for them. If you're anything like me, you probably at the back of your mind have got an image of this scene that you first had in Sunday school. A stooped elderly figure, probably in drab clothes, making her way over to the box and dropping in two tiny coins and standing back from her beautifully attired in expensive clothes are the officials who are kind of sneering at what she's doing. Lessons are taught and sermons are preached about how she went home penniless whilst the wealthy people didn't even notice what they'd given. 
And if that story helps us to recognise our own comparative wealth and to reflect on the challenges faced by those with very limited money, then that is a good thing. But it's not the only way we can hear or reflect on that story. And so today I'm going to try and look at some other angles we might take in approaching it. This story is one of three encounters between Jesus and widows that are recorded by Luke. The first time he met a widow that we're aware of, he was a tiny babe in arms being taken by his parents to the temple. And there they met Anna. Anna was a very elderly widow who spent all her time in the temple fasting and praying and she came up to this couple with their tiny baby and spoke to them. It seems to me very striking that one of the first people that Luke introduces us to who met Jesus is a widow, and one of the last people he encounters before he dies is also a widow. In between and often overlooked, though to my astonishment on Friday, at Friday Friendship, somebody chose to tell us this story. We were having a, a stories and songs afternoon, just share of stories that are interesting. And somebody picked this Bible story, which I'd chosen to allude to. The story of the widow of Nain. Anybody remember that one? A few nods. Quite a few blank faces. It's a story that gets overlooked. It's in Luke's Gospel. <laughs> And Jesus and his disciples are going along and they bump into a funeral procession. Presumably coming the other way, I don't know. And it's a widow and her only son has died and she's on her way to bury him. And so she's penniless. She's probably homeless. She's got nobody to look out for her, perhaps. And Jesus sees the situation and restores the young man to life maybe prefiguring in some way his own death and resurrection, who knows. But certainly suggesting he had compassion for this widow. I think it's fair to say that Luke's Jesus has a special concern for vulnerable widows. He mentions them more than other people do. In the Nazareth um, story that we heard part of, Jesus speaks of, in Elijah's time, about the widow of Zarephath. And he said there were lots of widows in Israel, but Elijah went to this widow, this foreign widow, at Zarephath. And of course, by implication, we have another story of a son raised from death. And then later on in the Gospel, and which we focused on a few weeks ago, the parable of the widow and the judge in thinking about prayer. So at least five mentions of widows in Luke's Gospel. I haven't checked, but I don't think any of the others come up to as many as that. So a different way we could look at this story is to think, well, who for us are the equivalent people of the widow? Our society and our culture is very different from that that Jesus knew. So direct comparison is not easy and maybe isn't even possible. But who are the people who are almost invisible? 
and who within the churches are the people who are almost invisible, who are faithfully and quietly praying for the incoming of God's kingdom? How dependent are we as churches and as a society on the goodwill and faithful, devoted service of those who've retired from active employment, maybe caring for grandchildren, looking after church administration, doing pastoral visiting or looking after the dreaded building project? But also, who are the vulnerable people who fall outside the safety nets of the welfare systems of our society and maybe find themselves trapped in cycles of poverty or crime? If widows and other little people mattered to Jesus, and if Luke recognised this and so recorded some examples for us, perhaps we can be reminded of two things. Firstly, of our own intrinsic value, because we all sometimes feel insignificant and invisible. And also that of others. Those, perhaps, whose faithful witness and service allow us to continue to be the church today. And maybe we find ourselves prompted to think how we feel about or respond to others whose lives are less comfortable and predictable than our own? Who are the vulnerable or invisible people for whom we have a soft spot? As Jesus seemed to have a soft spot for widows. And if we have a soft spot for a group in society, what does that prompt us to do? So then the story can prompt us to reflect on our own relative wealth and it can prompt us to reflect on our own and others' intrinsic worth. But there is still another way we can read it based on a different thread that goes right through the Gospel of Luke. If we listen carefully to the story of the widow in the temple we realise that Jesus doesn't criticise those who have wealth enough to pay that they're giving barely dents their pockets. These are people who have fulfilled their obligation to pay the temple taxes, they've paid for any necessary sacrifices to be made on their account, and most probably have made free will offerings on top of that. They are decent, devout people doing what decent, devout people do. There's a lot more going on here than simply rich people giving out of their plenty and the poor widow giving out of her poverty. It's not just the scale of the difference that matters. It's something about the significance of the giving. It's not just, though this would be pretty amazing in its own right, that the woman gives all the money that she has. It's that she gives all the money she has in the service of God. For the rich people, it's possible to satisfy the demands of the law and so be right with God without it really affecting their daily lives. For the widow giving everything to God 
so we suddenly discover, is more important than having food on the table. It's back to those tough choices. Do you, give, do you buy tea or do you buy your child a school, new school uniform? This widow chooses, do I buy tea or do I give to God? I choose to give to God. This theme of total commitment is repeated many times in Luke's Gospel, and that's why I chose the readings we heard this morning. Quite early in his ministry, Jesus asked the disciples, well, who do people think I am? And they say, well, you know, he's Elijah or he's a prophet. And then Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus' response is stark and it's shocking. He says, anybody... Anybody who wants to follow me must be totally committed. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Let go of ambition, possession, home, family, whatever it is, and then follow me. Now that is seriously hard teaching. And as we carry on through Luke's account... We see how that works out for some of the people who want to follow Jesus, culminating in the story of the rich ruler who inquired, I'm sure quite genuinely, what is it I need to do to inherit eternal life? He comes across as an earnest and sincere Jew. He's done his best since childhood to fulfill the requirements of the law. As long as he remembers, he's done all this. And yet something is still missing. He feels there is something more he needs to do. And Jesus says, there's just one thing you need to do. I wonder what was going through his mind at that point. But he listens eagerly, attentively, waiting to hear what this one thing is. And then the bombshell. Sell everything, give it all away, and then follow me. And he's sad, because he's wealthy. There's nothing to suggest he's mean, or that he's come by this money by anything other than legitimate ways. It's just a step too far to be asked to give it up. His wealth has, for him, become a snare something from which he cannot free himself. It's controlling him. It is hard teaching, and it is very off-putting. But it's what Luke's Jesus demands of his followers. And maybe that's why, right at the end of his earthly ministry, knowing that the die is cast and that death is not going to be far away, he's heard the whispers in the background... Jesus sits in the temple courts, catches sight of this widow, putting her last few coins into the offering box, and says, that's what it is. She gets it. That woman understands what it is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. What Jesus sees isn't just a poor widow who's going to go home hungry. He sees a faithful and selfless believer who's put her love for and service of God before all else. 
So am I saying we should all sell up and give away all our money? Well, no, I'm not. So don't panic. But I'm asking myself, and I'm asking each of us, what is it we can take from this story to think about further as we continue our own journey through Lent this year? If Lent is, in some sense, a commemoration of the time Jesus spent alone preparing to begin his ministry, and during which he experienced and deflected serious temptations, then maybe we can approach this story and the others we'll look at over the next few weeks through that lens. Neither in the story of the rich ruler or the story of the widow is having money or wealth seen as inherently evil. In the case of the worshippers in the temple, they were making what was required of them and probably a fair bit more and there's no reason to think that the rich ruler would have been any different. It's not the money itself that's the problem. It's the potential that money has to ensnare the one who has it. The temptation, if you like, to use another kind of biblical comment, to start serving mammon. There is a risk for those who have money, to become kind of self-satisfied because we pay all our bills on time and we pay, give to charity what we've planned to give to charity and we give to church what we've planned to give to church. But maybe we don't think what we do with the rest of our money. A kind of unthinking snare, if you like. There's a risk that we get sucked into a kind of materialism that needs to have the latest and the best and the flashiest. You have to have the latest iPad, whatever number we're up to. You have to have all the bells and whistles on your car. You have to have that luxury cruise with the extra money paid for sitting on the top table or whatever it might be. There's a risk that the money starts to control us rather than us controlling the money. There is a risk that we become trapped in servicing mortgages and loans and keeping up with ex expectations that we've created for ourselves or society and our interaction with it has created for us, that the joy we seek slips further and further from our reach. It's really easy, and we hear enough about it in the media, to become things rich and time poor, things rich and relationship poor. So perhaps if we want a Lenten challenge to take away from this week, it would be to take a little bit of time to reflect on our own relationship with money or with possessions and think about how much we are in control and how much we are controlled by any of that. Jesus didn't criticise people for rich. In fact, he needed some of the rich people around to fund his mission. But he noted that wealth and possessions can become a stumbling block for those who would love to follow him. And sometimes, sometimes it becomes a price too much to pay. 
far easier, he says, I'm sure, with a twinkle in his eye, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. As we journey on through Lent, may Christ give us both the courage we need to reflect on our relationships with material wealth and the assurance that just like the widow in the temple, our true worth will never be measured in pounds, shillings and pence or any other currency unit, but rather that we are loved and accepted by God just as we are. And so we're going to sing a hymn of response. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.
focus on our prayers for others this morning is in light of the March 8th International Women's Day, which we celebrated this week. Um, perhaps as an extension then to our thoughts this morning <coughs> as we think about gender poverty. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we come before you with our prayers for others, at the end of a week that is celebrated internationally, women, and as if we'd just been contemplating the riches of the poor widow. We are conscious of how so many women across the world, whether in nations developed or undeveloped, still live in a climate <coughs> of suppression or oppression. We pray for those caught up in war-torn regions, whose husbands and sons have been taken from them, and who are left to raise what is left of their family alone and in destitution. We pray for women caught up in predatory sexual behavior, whether through the sex trade or the slave trade, as they become pawns in a man's game. We pray for those women who still have no choice in public affairs, in countries where women cannot vote, cannot run for office or cannot gain office, cannot speak on equal terms in matters of family or state. And we pray for women at every level and in every nation who strive for equal footing within systems that are still so very deeply rooted in the powers of patriarchy. But beyond the headlines and the statistics, we also pray for women who daily struggle in the silence of their own situation, whether against abusive relationships, against tacit misogyny, against deep pressures to conform to standards dictated by media, by the male gaze, by centuries of biased expectation. We pray that the poverty they struggle against can be turned into an abundance of the kind that makes real change in their daily lives, real change in their relationships, their society, their world. We pray for women in the church, particularly women in positions of leadership in the church. We know how the currents of institutional structures and polity still dictate against the equality of recognition. And we continue to pray for women leaders who must fight to work out their ministry on a level playing field. We pray for our own minister in this regard, Katrina, as she continues her work within our local, regional, and national confines with all the pressures they entail. We ask that you give her the strength and the courage to resist all those forces that continue to mute the role of women in our congregations throughout the land, while she upholds the strength of women here in our midst. But we also thank you for the strong and influential women who have been so central in our world and in our own personal experience. We praise you for their courage and for their examples. 
And in the silence that follows, we bring before you now the women who have been so instrumental, so affirming, so life-changing in our own particular lives, as well as those who continue to need our support and our encouragement. Dear God, we have long, long been in the habit of defaulting to you as our Father. But we know that you are as much our Mother. We know that you made us in your image, that male and female you made us. We know that you bring your being and your love in a way that transcends all divisions, all categories all designations. And it is in that being and in that love what the, that we bring these prayers before you now. Amen.
Lamb of God, we come to you just as we are, and we bring these our gifts. Some we have placed in the offering bag, and some go directly from our bank to the church's bank. But we bring them all willingly and gladly to be employed in your service. Amen. Forth in your name, O Lord, I go, my daily labour to pursue. You, Lord, alone, I choose to know in all I think or speak or do. Triune God, who has blessed us with so many gifts, lead us on from here in the footsteps of Jesus to live and serve to your praise and glory, now and always. Mm -hmm. 